You can have a seat. Rick is preaching from Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Well, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created, af created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Good morning. Imagine um, <clears throat> I come home from, from work and I greet my wife at the door with some flowers and I say to her and she says to me thank you and I said don't worry about it I just I had to um how do you how do you feel like that that goes over if I say to her I brought you flowers because I, I just I felt like I had to what's that all right all right you probably would have said that anyway all right um so there, there is a, a negativity that comes with the idea that I had to do it, right? What if um, I further explained that I said I had to because I love you? What if the had to is based on the fact that I love you very much and I know that flowers make you happy and they make you smile and I was just driving home and I thought to myself, man, I love my wife. And because I love my wife, I think I should probably go and do something for her to show her that I love her. And it's that sort of had to. How does that, how does that change? Heart eye. <laughs> the heart eye emoji. Um, by the way, I, usually I'm not wearing glasses on the phone and I'm like looking through. I, can't, I, have, I don't know what they are anyway. And then I don't know what, like, um, emoji game is weak um, for me. Um, but you can see where the difference there is. If I say I had to in a like shrug shoulder sort of way, you think I've done something wrong or there's like, it's, it doesn't carry the weight, but I think it maybe carries more weight if I had to, because my love for her compels me to, um, that's getting to the heart of what I think this passage is getting to the heart of. It's, it's two ideas, uh, uh two words. One is orthopraxy. And one is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is what you believe, who you are, what's making up the things that, that, 
like how you believe and how you see the world is your orthodoxy. And your orthopraxy are the things that you do. So generally speaking, your orthodoxy informs and predicts your orthopraxy. You with me? Um, so last night, more a little bit uh, real-world explanation of this. Last night, uh, my family and I were, went to Six Flags for Fright Fest, and uh, my, my kids brought some friends, and we had decided we were going to leave about 10 o'clock. And if you have kids, you know that if you intend to leave at 10 o'clock, you say we're going to leave at 9.30 so that at 10 o'clock you leave, right? And so it's about 9.15 and the kids are running around the park somewhere with their friends and Jen and I are sitting on a bench because we're old and tired and it's cold. <laughs> She's pointing at me, you know, you're old and tired. Yeah, it's true. Um, so we're sitting there and uh, Jen sends out a text, we're going to leave in a little bit, so kind of ride your last ride. Um, or do whatever it is, the last thing you're doing. Um, and then I, I get to, to thinking, and I'm, I'm one, of, one of the, as, as a pastor, one of the orthodoxies for me raising my family is to not allow the fact that I am a pastor to, to take from the childhood of my children. You follow that? Like, I don't want the fact that what I do on Sunday mornings to... to make their childhood worse and make their, their growing up worse. Um, and so I decided in that moment that, no, let's, let's, let's stay till about 11 or so um, and give them a little, little bit more time. And so because I don't want them to, like, regret or have this sort of, like, I'm, I have a, a worse childhood or, or growing up because my dad is a pastor. I don't want that to be part of who they are. And that orthodoxy in me, that belief in me that I want this for my kids, informed the orthopraxy of when we went home last night. You follow that? Um, so it, it's, it's important for us to say, to understand that our orthodoxy informs our orthopraxy. And what, I, I, like, success today is, is for, from my perspective, is for us to think beyond this hour uh, of does my orthopraxy reflect my orthodoxy? Um, do my actions reflect what I really believe? Um, and, and to get you thinking about that, when you're actually acting and when you're doing stuff in your world and in your life, does, does the things that I do, do they reflect the things that I, I believe? Because I think that... Um, at the heart, probably they, they don't always. What I do doesn't always reflect what I believe. Um, so I encourage you to, to journal about this beyond today. Does my orthodoxy match my orthopraxy? Does my orthopraxy match my orthodoxy? Journal about that. Maybe grab somebody that's here today and, and go sit and, and chat about it. Um, let's get into the the passage, but I, really, the success looks like us thinking about this beyond just this hour this morning. Verse 17. Now, this I say and testify that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Orthodoxy always rules and predicts 
orthopraxy. If your orthodoxy doesn't match your orthopraxy, then you're probably fooling yourself about what exactly your orthodoxy is. And I think that's, like, as you're thinking today and as you, as you consider in the days to come, this might be a good, is, am I fooling myself with what I actually believe? Um, now, this is, that here, here's the, the prayer that I've had this morning, is this message and that notion can quickly break down and make us, um, like, kind of slaves to the way that we act and, and be not very gospel-centered and that how we act is the most important thing. Um, I don't mean to say that. There's sin in you, there's sin in me, there's sin in us, there's sin in this world. We have flesh-filled desires. So don't hear me say that if you have good orthodoxy, if you have good right beliefs, then your practice should always reflect that. It's not going to happen, and it's not gospel-centric. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy practice and every kind of impurity. Um, Your orthodoxy can be your senses. They become your God. The what you see, what you taste, what you hear, what you feel. Those things, and to please your senses, a lot of times, those things are our orthodoxy. I want you to, to look back at your life. Look at your, at your last week. Did the things that you do, were they ruled by the orthodoxy of your senses. You follow that? And this is, this is really good practice, but really good practice to do in community. Here, in verse 18, or verse 19, they have become callous and given themselves up to every sensuality. So, the thing, and I, I believe this is really, really true, that most of the time, our decisions on what we're going to do in the next moment is ruled by our senses. And our senses become our orthodoxy. And they tell us what to do. Our eyes tell us what to do. Our ears tell us what to do. Our, our tastes tell us what to do. What we feel tells us what to do. Um, and then, then he presses in a little bit beyond the comma, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And, and this is, as Western Americans, this really drives us that greed is probably most of the time the real orthodoxy that's happening in our worlds and in our lives and in our hearts. Greed is our God. Can we be honest with each other enough to say that this is the truth of us? And, and here's, the, here's the, the thing that, from my perspective, writing this, 
preparing to say this to you is I want to see, I want you to see where it's true in your own heart. And that tells me the likelihood is what you might hear is I want them to see that this is true in their hearts. And as I, as I prepare to try to say this to you, I have to be honest with myself and I have to check my own orthodoxy and understand that a lot of the time what fuels my beliefs, which fuels my practice, is a Rick-centered greed. Our desire for things, for power, for money, for... And, and, and I'm a little bit more subtle than that. I don't know that I have a lot of orthodoxy, a lot of greed for, for self-power, for self-authority, for, for, for money. I don't, I, don't like, I don't think I have a lot of that. But I have this greed for prominence. Does it make sense? Like I have this greed for, for you to think well of me. And that's what drives what I do. My ultimate orthodoxy is for you to think well of me and put me in a circle of a bunch of pastors and that really, really comes to the, to the, to the front. Like, I want them to think well of me and so I'm going to manipulate the conversation, manipulate the, the, the room so that you will think well of me. And that becomes my orthodoxy. And that orthodox, that need, that belief, that fundamental, foundational, essential belief predicts how I act to you. And I think if we're honest, we all live there. And, like, even think back to the, the tragedy of yesterday. You guys, have you heard about the, the, the guy who goes into the Jewish synagogue and I think it's 11 people that he killed? That orthopraxy is, is definitively formed by his orthodoxy. He did what he did because he believes what he believes. Let's go to the next passage, verse 20. But that's not the way you learned from Christ. I'm going to come back to that verse and spend some time thinking about it, but I want to read a few more verses. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Like Paul is getting to the heart of orthodoxy versus orthopraxy here. And a, it's important for us to kind of pull back a second and see that the first three and maybe even plus chapters of the book of Galatians is Paul building this essential orthodoxy of who Jesus is and what he does and how it changes what we think and what we do. So this this sermon can become very works-centric and not gospel-centric if we lose the context in which it appears. So, verse 20, go back there, but that's not what you learned from Christ. He spent three chapters 
building this foundation of the essence of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus loved. And when I say love, he, 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 he gave of himself. Greater love is no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. The essence of the love of Jesus is that he would see a need in people and then do everything that he could to satisfy that need. That's love. That's orthodoxy. And the orthodoxy is his love. The orthopraxy is his sacrifice. And this is the call of our hearts and of our lives. Like, what do you spend on? My kids are getting to the age now. They're teenagers. They're beginning to think about what life is going to be like for them in the, in the future, especially Hannah Grace. She's about to graduate. And, and I spend a lot of time thinking about what are you going to spend your life on? That's a lot of orthopraxy. And my prayer is that there's an orthodoxy that's deep within here that informs that. And my prayer for us is that orthodoxy would inform our orthopraxy. And the orthodoxy would be foundationally found in Jesus. He loved. He sacrificed. He gave himself up. He lived the gospel. Jesus was compelled by his love to do what he did. Are you compelled by your love for people to do what you do? Probably not. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Left to ourselves... Our right thinking and our right belief is not going to make our behavior right. It's only a supernatural impact of an incredible Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, our natural selves will produce an orthopraxy that satisfies our senses and our greed. Your natural self will produce an orthopraxy that satisfies your senses and your greed. And look at verse 22, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Here's the, here's the major issue with church. It's that this is a once and done procedure. It's not. It's a continual renewing of the mind. It's a continual laying off of the old self. It's a continual understanding that our orthopraxy will inform our orthodoxy if we're not careful. Does does that make sense? How how our orthopraxy, like this is what we want to do and so we're going to do it. And that begins to inform our orthodoxy. And there's a, a vital nature to a need in the church to continually be renewing our minds. Because our natural selves are evil. We must continually be praying, serving, submitting, engaging, community. These are all important. Like, this appears right after. This, what I'm teaching today appears right after what I taught last week. Intended to be one long message. And that... God has given gifts to you 
so that you might plug into the church and that you might become a gift to the church? Do you know that around you sit people who need you? Because there's this continual and ever-present fight. And the church is a place that feeds us thought, that makes us think that we've got it all figured out. And it's that moment that begins to send us downhill, spiraling towards a negative orthopraxy. Because we think we've got something figured out. But it's the life of Christ and our conforming ourselves to him that is the heart of our orthodoxy, which has to inform our orthopraxy. Move on to verse 25, and there's some very specific orthopraxy that's here. Um, These are good things for you to kind of check yourself. How's your orthopraxy looking, and and what what sort of orthodoxy is it really revealing? Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Very simply, do not lie. If, if you are a habitual liar, if you lie with some consistency, then you're probably, like, that's revealing some sort of orthodoxy about you. But look, look at the depth of this. It's not just don't lie. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. It presupposes that you are engaged with your neighbors, with people around you. For we are members of one another. Like, everyone in this room has the possibility to be a gift to everyone in this room. We're members of one another. We need you here. Verse 28, skip a couple. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. A Christ-centered orthodoxy creates this. You're working hard. You're laboring. You're doing honest work. You work hard. So that he might share with someone in need. You work hard and you share. Part of being a part of a church is this. And it's not just like working, like your occupation. This is like you're laboring at fellowship. You're laboring at community. You're laboring at being, you're laboring at love for one another. Because, like, we need each other, you guys. There's brokenness that's present everywhere here. There's hurt that's present everywhere. But there's triumph that's present everywhere here. Work hard at community. Work hard at love and share it. Verse 29 This is a verse that I memorized when I was in high school. And it always messes with me because now it's in a different version than I memorized it in. 
verse 29, let no corrupting talk come from out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Um, first of all, use words to spread grace. But let's, let's look back at this again and... Um, like, I, I really, really believe that this is, um, this is a really heavy stone to carry. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Like, your, the, the likelihood is, is that your orthopraxy is a deep failure here. Let no corrupting talk come from out of your mouths. Corrupting talk. Let no corrupting talk come from out of your mouths. Not on occasion, or let most of your talk be not corrupting. Let no corrupting talk come from out of your mouths. What words, what actions, what What stuff comes out of your mouth? Think about the people that drive you crazy. What do you say about them to other people? Are you like, I feel like I'm the only one in this moment feeling the weight of this. I I hope we feel the weight of this. That our orthopraxy just does not match up to our orthodoxy with the wit, what we say and how we say and when we say. So we should not only not let corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. What, what would your world look like? How many words would you have used? How many less words would you have used last week if you had only said things that build people up. But only such is good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Like one of the most incredible ideas in the history of ideas is this idea of grace. That God has given to you what you do not deserve. There's nothing in this world, in my mind, that changes the way that a person behaves than when they've encountered grace. And here, the proclamation is the stuff that comes out of our mouths ought to be filled with grace. I'm going to speak words to you that you don't deserve. And this is, guys, this is part of being a church. This is so vital for us. What, what would it look like? What would it look like if, if one or two or three of us Everything that we said reflected the grace that we've encountered and experienced. 
Words can decay and destroy or they can strengthen and build. Words are meant to carry grace. Think about that. Words are meant to carry grace. I think my redundancy here is belaboring, so I'll move to verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Man. I'm, for the first time, reflecting on my week and the, like, I'm, I'm really bad here, verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander. It's reality. Let it be put away from you. If we've truly engaged with the orthodoxy that we say we've truly engaged with, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, these are all things that are apart from us. But when I see the reality of, of what's happening in my world and what's happening in your worlds, now this is just not true. It makes me question my orthodoxy, which makes me throw myself at the gospel. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Three more simple steps of orthopraxy here. Be kind, be tender. Forgive. Be kind. Be kind. How you how you doing here? Be tender. What does it mean to be tender? Like, I know that there's hurt in you. I know that there's pain in you. I know that there's difficulty. I know that, that you have the opportunity to be hurt. And so I want to be tender. I want to be gentle, loving. Like, how are you doing here? The last one, Forgive. The orthodoxy that we've been forgiven ought to inform the orthopraxy that we forgive, but many times it doesn't. But then the most beautiful phrase in all of these scriptures that we've talked about today come after the comma in verse 32, as God in Christ forgave you. So throughout this week, I've been engaging with this scripture hoping and praying that I would communicate it well and hoping and praying that I would communicate it well to my own heart 
and that we begin to understand orthodoxy and orthopraxy and, and all those things. I've been thinking about that and, and realizing ways where my orthopraxy misses the mark from what I proclaim my orthodoxy to be. And even this morning, as I've, as I've spoken here, God has revealed some ways where my orthopraxy doesn't match up with my orthodoxy. But then I see these words, as God in Christ forgave you. Like, I hope and pray that you felt conviction this morning about your words, about your kindness, about your tenderness, about your willingness to forgive, about something. But I want you to see that you've been forgiven. There's always more grace. Grace abounds. It overflows. Um, I have a practice of listening to uh, a worship playlist um, on Spotify as I drive from my home to here on Sunday mornings. And at the top of that playlist is a song called Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And as I was trying to get my heart into a place of um, preparedness to speak this morning, the words of the refrain uh, continued to wash over me, and I pray that they would wash over you as you have hopefully been, uh, had an encounter with conviction and failure um, today. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I've needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. These are words that were written by a human being, but they're also words that come straight from Ecclesiastes. Lamentations, sorry. Um, great is thy faithfulness. Wherever it is you find yourself on the scale of, of your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy, understand that there is a holy and wonderful God who has sent this on Jesus Christ to die for your failings in orthopraxy. So that you might be in relationship with him. And let that inspire us to go and do and be. Um, look at those last three things. Be kind, be tender, forgive. I think all that we've done and all that we've thought and all that I've said this morning are centered here. Be kind, be tender, forgive. These are very simple things for us to go and do and be. But they're also beautiful things that God has been faithful to provide for us and will continue to be faithful to provide for us. He's incredibly kind. He's incredibly tender. And he's incredibly forgiving. And may the orthodoxy of what we believe about who God is change us and inform that we might go and do that in our worlds. There's someone in this room and there's someone on your block 
and there's someone at your workplace or school that is in desperate need of you to be this to them today. There's somebody in this room that needs you to be this today. And you can be this because God has already been it to you. Sorry for the tense of those verbs. But it's the, it's the reality that, that God has broken into your jacked up orthopraxy and your jacked up orthodoxy and said, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to be tender to you. I'm going to forgive you. Um, let's pray. God, um, God, I pray that you would be practical now with us. God, I pray that you would inspire us to do something. God, I pray that you would inspire us now in these moments to, to journal, to reflect, to encourage us to go and get with someone today or tomorrow or, or sometime this week. Just begin to think about what we do and what we believe And God, may it, it start from an encounter with how kind and tender and forgiving you've been to us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.